Blog Talk Radio. to you all on this well if you're in indianapolis like we are high atop the balance studios in the west suburbs of indianapolis we are having a rainy saturday morning but that's okay we're good to go welcome aboard my name is tom marquisel presidente we're doing this thing called the balance we do it every saturday morning uh hopefully we'll be joined by matthew Embry, wsbt in, in south bend but hey the Sweet 16 is finished. We are getting ever so closer to the Final Four. Ciao. Brackets busted all the heck yesterday. On the second night of the big stage, the big dance, number one seed was vanqu- vanquished. Can I use that word? Vanquished was disappeared. Michigan State cruised on. Duke's fate came down to the flash shot, and Kentucky was pushed to the brink. It was March Madness on a Friday night. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. We're going to be breaking down the, the March Madness over the next hour. And then also we're going to be talking with uh, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, and our official NFL contributor. We're going to be talking with him about uh, the NFL owners meeting, some free agency moves, and uh, the Eagles picked up a running back that they that underneath the ra- radar. My name is Sean Mark Wassell, President A, 917-889-8516 is my digits. We'll be right back. Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, 
new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Madness keeps rolling along. We're going to break down all the Sweet 16 action. Joining us now, now is Matthew Embry, WSBT, up in South Bend, Notre Dame country as well. How are you, sir? Well, it's been pretty busy. I'll tell you what, uh, I think a lot of people are going to be very curious to see uh, Cam Purdue finally uh, put the act together. In fact, uh, Heck, who knows? Uh, maybe uh, Gene Cady will jump out of his seat and get to the sidelines and try to coach his way if Matt Painter can't get the job done. Because uh, it seemed like even from uh, his seat uh, during the Sweet 16 game, Cady was coaching uh, from his seat, it seemed like. 
They sure look like that. I tell you what, though. I tell you, I, I'm obviously by by nature, I'm not a Purdue fan, but I'm rooting for them in the the March Madness, and and, and hopefully they'll go. They're not a championship caliber team. Uh, I, I don't think so. But yet we saw North Carolina fall last night. We'll get into that game here in just a minute. But what's kind of good to see an iconic coach like that on the sidelines, and that's something you'll never see with Bobby Knight and IU. So there's something to be said for that. And uh, Gene Cady, man, uh, you're right. He's a legend. And uh, he handpicked Matt Painter to uh, – but let's let's give credit to where credit's due. Let's start with that game since it is our – kind of our, our hometown here. We're based in Indiana, although we're a national show. We're all over the United States. Uh, but we are we are we we love our Indiana teams. Purdue uh has has really came from behind. Uh, a lot of people I mean at, at the beginning of the season I don't think anybody thought Purdue would be where they are at now. And here they are going on to the Elite Eight and they knocked off uh Tennessee, which by all accounts is a championship caliber, or was, or we thought was at least a Final Four type team. So let's talk a little bit about that game. Came all the way down to overtime. Tennessee had that, kind of gave it away. Let's break that game down by the numbers in Sweet 16, how Purdue got into the Elite Eight. Well, I tell you what, Purdue got very lucky there. I mean, you blow an 18 point lead, almost a la Tennessee blowing a 25 point lead against Iowa, and it goes to overtime and they win. Uh, Give uh, Ryan Klein credit. Uh, the guy wouldn't miss. Uh, had a big, had a career game at the perfect time. Carson Edwards with another performance. Hard to believe now that he is the only player now since Steph Curry was at Davidson to have four consecutive 25-point or more games in NCAA tournament play. He is now the only player besides Steph Curry in that time frame to have four games of 25 points or more. You know, I did see that stat, and it totally slipped my brain. So thanks uh, for bringing that uh, uh, bringing that up to us. So let's kind of let's get into some of these uh, these games with Purdue. Purdue moves on now. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this Gonzaga Florida State game. Florida State Seminoles. We thought it was going to be a real deal, but at the same time, we also knew that they were playing Gonzaga. Gonzaga is a, again, I think a lot of people have them. And I know in one of my brackets, I have them in my in, in a Final Four. And I know a lot of people do have them in a Final Four. Let's talk about the Florida State Gonzaga Bulldogs. Uh, I think Stephen A. Smith hit the nail on the head. I don't know if you watched first take uh, yesterday morning or not. But uh, he said clearly, and it was clear, these are two teams that are not what we thought they were. Uh, Gonzaga could not shoot the lights out. They gave Florida State every reason to be able to beat them uh, on Thursday night, and they couldn't do it. And uh, I think we saw that uh, plain and clear. And uh, I think you look at uh, who's in the catbird scene in that West region. If Texas Tech can get some act together and start shooting, I mean, they didn't necessarily need it against Michigan, who – only put up 44 points somehow, some way on Thursday night. Uh, I had Texas Tech going in that regional. If you mention, as you recall, I mentioned uh, last uh, show. Uh, I think they could pull it off against Gonzaga team. I think Gonzaga's got to shoot the ball better. Uh, guys like Norvell Jr. have got to get their act together because they can't get it done and get the points on the board. Uh, Texas Tech's just one team with their defense that just lulls you to sleep, and then they get the job done on their own and puts you away. I think uh, Gonzaga's got to get it off to a good start in this game. 
Michigan couldn't do it. I think Gonzaga does. They should be able to get to the Final Four. But if they come out flat like Michigan did, uh, the Red Bears, I think, have a very good chance to uh, get all the way to the Final Four for, I think, uh, the first time ever. I don't think they've ever gotten that far uh, in their history. No, I think you're absolutely right. And, I mean, you had the number three and the number two against Michigan. I I, I had I have to admit, freely admit, in one of my brackets, that's, that's the beauty of filling out multiple brackets. You're going to win somewhere along the road, and you're going to lose somewhere along the road. I just really wanted to see a Big Ten team go. I thought it would be Michigan. Turns out it might be Purdue uh, that goes to the Final Four, if not a championship game. We want to see a Big Ten uh, team in the in the championship, but just because I'm a Big Ten kind of guy. But Michigan really kind of let us down, don't you think? I'm not. And you cover like Michigan, said, so I you, pre- you probably know better that than, they oh. would that they would not beat Texas Tech. But I did not think they would only put up 44 points. That's the thing, though. I thought it would be a much be a much closer game. And Texas Tech uh, was able to do just enough to beat them and beat them convincingly when Michigan just kept stubbing his toes. They just could not make any shots when they needed it. And I think uh, John Beeline uh, said it all after the game on the Thursday press conference. They just uh, came out and laid an egg. Well, that's your your neck of the woods. I know you cover the, the Michigan teams. That's kind of your backyard up there. Uh, so, I mean, it was kind of a shock to me. I, and I I, I mean, I guess I kind of thought that Michigan could beat Texas Tech, but I also just thought that they would have a better showing as well. But you talk about redemption. One has redeemed themselves, and probably 90% of the people who didn't pick for uh, Virginia because of what happened last year in, in the March Madness is now kicking themselves in the in the junk and saying, oh, oh, goodness. And But at the same time, if you're an Oregon fan, you got to be pretty happy at, at, at the showing that, that showed up, and they almost lost it against Oregon. Let's talk about Oregon and the uh, the Cavaliers, the Ducks and the Cavaliers. If Oregon had found a way to beat the pack line, which they, I think, had every chance to be able to do it, they should be playing Purdue right now. Um, I Virginia, I still think, with their inability to score consistently, and while Jay Billis uh, says that they have enough scoring power and firepower to do it, if Purdue can start making baskets and hit threes like they did on Thursday, I think Purdue can beat Virginia. I really do. Well, I, they do. The, thing, the thing is, though, can Purdue, and I think this is the one thing that didn't catch them out the last two games, but they do a better job of guarding the perimeter because Villanova got some open looks and hit them. Tennessee got some open looks hit him. Even Old Dominion got some open looks hit him. If they could do a better job in controlling that, uh, I think they have a very good chance of uh, beating Virginia this evening. I really do. What? I tell you what, it's going to be a good game, and there are two, uh, talking about our homers, there are two Indiana kids on that squad, uh, one from Carmel and one from Lawrence Central, who were both recruited by Matt Painter. Uh, so we'll see uh, what, what happens, and certainly a lot of respect uh, for them. But I tell you what, I'm still rooting for Virginia. Virginia, in, in most of my brackets, I've got going all the way, and one of my brackets I got when, uh, got them winning in. Let's talk about yesterday's action. LSU, Michigan State, again, up in your neck of the woods, number two, Michigan State. And Tom Izzo comes back and says, yeah, we still got this. We're still in control. Didn't get ate up by, by some tar, uh, Tigers. Uh, uh, Mr. Sparty moves on. That game, I think, was decided in the first flurry there when Michigan State got up on an 8 nothing lead and LSU did not have an answer. I, I had a feeling LSU was going to be in big trouble because that seemed like 
that seemed like what happened in every one of their losses this season, Tom. They got to a slow start, and they lost interest. And I think that's the thing with some of these young teams that you've got to be careful about. And I think not having Will Wade as their the coach on the sidelines hurt that, and I think allowed that to happen. Um, but uh, ultimately, I think right now you've got to be – you got to come out strong, and there are certain teams where it is absolutely paramount that you come out and you get off to a fast start. LSU did not do that last night, and that ultimately hurt them. Now, granted, they did make a decent comeback, but uh, at that point, you had to have a feeling that Izzo, with you know the dramas they've had in some of the games already in this tournament, he wasn't going to let them uh, fall on their face again. Well, you're absolutely right. The Spartans started the game out at 8-0 run uh, and, and never really really looked back. And uh, we're, uh, we're leading to the wire. LSU went on an 8-0 run of their own on the start of the second. Um, but there again, LSU was underdone. Tremont Waters was the only Tiger that was to score more than 11 points in the sophomore. Uh, poured in 23 points. Uh, Javon Smart, freshman guard, played 25 minutes and, but failed to score on six attempts. Again, Michigan State racked up 22 assists, uh, shot 40.6% from behind the arc. And uh, Casas Winston caught. Uh, 17 points as well. So, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Michigan State said, we got this. We're moving on. Here was an exciting game to me, the most exciting game to watch last night, and that was Auburn in North Carolina. North Carolina, number one, falls to Bruce Pearl. Again, another Indiana connection. He used to coach down there at USI. And let's uh, take a moment and, and tip our hats to USI. They almost did it uh, in the D2 but my goodness, uh, it didn't happen. But hey, I lost in the semifinals on Thursday. Right, right. But Bruce Pearl used to coach down there. There's the the, the 365 degree connection. Bruce Pearl is going to be highly talented and highly sought after. Don't know if he'll stay with Auburn, but his focus right now is with Auburn, and he proved that last night against the Tar Heels. Well, obviously, we don't know the extent of the FBI investigation. Obviously, Chuck Person was one person t- tied. If uh, Bruce Pearl, who's not been had a squeaky clean record, he had the issues with Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and also Tennessee. Uh, if he comes out squeaky clean, uh, he should be fine here and should be here a while. Uh, I just got to say, though, considering it's Charles Barkley's thing, I, I just don't want to see you know, a last-second shot and him jumping up and down on the set like Villanova when they, <laughs> Chris Jenkins hit that shot. Cause just, you could just see it happening if they get all the way to the Final Four or something where oh, he starts yeah. going bonkers. I, I, I mean, I, I, I respect Auburn for getting this far because this is a program that has not done this since uh, I think what was it Chris Porter and uh, Cliff Ellis was the head coach I believe. You probably are right on that. You're much better on that than I am. Chris something <laughs> well, I don't remember his last name. I know it, it was the guy that had the the big hair. I don't remember his last name though. <laughs> The big hair. That that could could explain a lot. But, hey, the Tar Heels were the first number one seed to to fall last night, and I I thought that was a a really exciting game there in Kansas City. Uh, It's just the second time that Auburn will appear in the uh, uh, Elite Eight. So, I tell you what, if you got Auburn, which I do in a couple brackets, I hate to say. By the way, their player that they mentioned, I think that Kazir Hill, did he play uh, last night? I think so. I think so. Okay. 
Yeah, because he was battling the flu. There was questions of whether or not he was going to play or and not. That, and I it, wonder. Isn't that the other kid with big hair? <laughs> uh, yeah, they mentioned that he might not play because he had the, a bad case of the flu. Of course, you think of the flu, you think of Michael Jordan's super play in uh, the 97 NBA Finals where he scored like 40 points against the Jazz and almost secured that series for them with that performance. Uh Unfortunately, I guess Kazir Hill did not have the performance I thought he was going to have because sometimes when you are sick as a basketball player or as any kind of athlete, the pressure goes away and that's all you focus on. You end up playing better because of it. But, uh, well, maybe it didn't work out uh, tonight or last night for UNC. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, we had another 2-3 uh, matchup last night as well, and that's uh, the Wildcats, uh, Cal Perry in the U.K. against Houston. I, I, I mean, Houston kind of started out all right. They had a three-point lead with one uh, a minute 16 to play. It just wasn't enough. And uh, the Kentucky Wildcats said, we got this uh, in Calipari, and the Wildcats do what Wildcats do last night, and that is play well in the tournament. If not for Zion Williamson and, you know, the superstar that Coach K has at Duke, I thought Kentucky was the team that's going to win this title. If you wipe Duke, if Duke had gotten eliminated by Taco Fall and UCF, but let's go back to that game if you have time. That was a game, I think, that UCF had multiple chances to put Duke away, and they just could not do it and just couldn't, had, didn't have the answer to be able to pull it off. And Zion Williamson just had enough to win that game. And I actually thought, considering that performance, that that raised Houston's profile, that they would give Kentucky a run. But uh, Kentucky, I think, just much too strong. They just have much too much firepower to deal with. That's i got to say, with Kentucky, considering how many new players they have into their team pretty much every year because of the one-and-done situations with the NBA, uh, you look at that situation and uh, the fact that they got such a good start this year, that ultimately makes – you have to think they're going to be a contender when we get to tournament time. And uh, I just still think if somehow Duke stubs their toe, Kentucky, even though they are two-seed, I think becomes the favorite to win the NCAA tournament at this point. Wow. i tell you what, that's going to be huge. And I, I know a lot of people have them going, but uh, I'm not one of those people that have them in the championship game. I am one of those people that have them in the, the, the final four, so we'll see what happens. Last night, Duke still manages to hang on. Barely against Virginia Tech Hokies, uh, the Duke Blue Devils keep moving on. As you as you mentioned, Zion is is a beast, but Duke is by all accounts a disappointment this year. I wouldn't go that far. Now, granted, with that Duke barely survived against Virginia Tech. Not only did they not have Zion Williamson, but also Virginia Tech was without their top scorer. I don't think that made a difference in that game. I don't think it made any difference now. It's just I don't know if Duke is just underestimating their opponents or what the case is, but we saw even with the game against North Dakota State, uh, they came out flat in that game. It's just they have just enough firepower to be able to win. Now, granted, I compare that to, you know, just jumping out of a play and trying to build the parachute and make it work before you smash on the ground. I don't know if that's necessarily going to get them all the way to the championship game, I think you would think Coach K would say, hey, you need to come out and get out to a fast start and start trying to put these teams away. Uh, but uh, you look at who is left, uh, I'd certainly think, based on the opening that Michigan State gave to LSU, I think if you look at that matchup, if Duke comes out flat that game and Michigan State goes out to a fast start, Cassius Winston, et cetera, 
it's going to be a very hard sell for me that Duke finds a way to win this game on Sunday. Doesn't look like we're going to have a Cinderella this year. Not at all. Not any, anywhere close. But l- let's look at kind of the journey of what has happened over the games. And, and I, I, I think it, if we could say if we want to look at and the And there's a reason for that, Tom. After what happened last year with all the upsets, I think a lot of these coaches, a lot of these players started to realize, hey, we are not invulnerable in these first-round matchups. I think we saw that. Granted, that's why not many of these first-round matchups ended up being close. Uh, I think teams, for once, the top seeds, took these lower games like they were a second, third, or fourth-round game and played that way. Now, granted that some of them came out flat. I mean, we had two ones trailing 16s at the half, but they eventually got their act together. But I think ultimately, players, and I think coaches, I think that's why Tom Izzo got his team against Bradley, they realized you come out flat even at any round of this tournament, considering how the field has equalized itself, you can lose. And I think that's the thing that got into heads all across the board. So actually... If you look at last year with all the upsets, I think for the teams that were, you know, the double-digit seeds, that actually proved to be a detriment this year than a help because I think you saw these teams, the top seeds, did their homework and decided, okay, we're not going to come out flat and just, you know, cruise in these first-rounders because we might actually lose them. And I think that's what you saw this year, and that's why these double-digit seeds were not as successful as they have been in years past. Well, no, absolutely. It, you know, we we were kind of hoping that we would see some uh, uh, some Cinderella action. Uh, uh, certainly, we we thought at UCF, we thought uh, St. Mary's, uh, uh, we thought Washington might be somebody that that could make some some uh, noise. Uh, we we uh, actually Irvine even talked a little bit. Irvine, Irvine definitely was one. We we talked about uh, uh, a little bit about. Um, Colgate, how how strong they were, how that could have happened. But you're right, UC Irvine was probably the one that we predicted the most uh, outside of maybe St. Mary's that we predicted the most that would be our Cinderella. But we don't see it this year. So I guess if we have to uh, for conversation purposes, but it's not even really a real thing. It's kind of a fake thing because they're not really a Cinderella team. But if we want to look at the the, if we want to put a Cinderella title, if we want to say that, if we want to use those words, Purdue would, that, would be that team. Well, a lot of people would say Auburn, but I think Auburn, based on the toughness of that SEC conference, got a raw deal with that five seed. And I think you're seeing that now with you know LSU getting to the Sweet 16, Kentucky getting there, Tennessee. I think uh, you could make a case, and I'm sure Charles Barkley would probably agree with me, granted. I don't see eye to eye with him anyway. But uh, I think a lot of those SEC teams did get underseated in the draw, and I think you're starting to see that now, especially with a team like Auburn, as easily as they put away a, a team that many thought could win the tournament in North Carolina. Well, let's break it down by the numbers. We're going to have a final four by the end of the weekend. By the end of tomorrow, we're going to have a final four in Minneapolis. So we're going to start, and we're going to break it down by the numbers. Our first game of the day today is tonight at 6 o'clock, and that's Texas Tech at Gonzaga. Bulldogs, certainly a lot of people have Gonzaga uh, in in their brackets going all the way. I certainly have them going deep as well. And we talked a little bit about this earlier, but let's break it down by the numbers. Number three, Texas Tech against number one, Gonzaga Bulldogs. 
Well, Texas Tech, obviously, their defense is tough to get through. So I think guys like Norvell, et cetera, are going to have to get their act together and bust in the lane and get some points inside because Michigan couldn't do it earlier. That really hurt their chances early on. I mean, even they couldn't even get the ball to Teske, their big guy inside, uh, in the first you know 10 minutes of the game. They only had like six points or something. So I think if they could bust inside, they have a very good chance to win. But uh, Texas Tech, uh, they could get their act together as well because they also came out flat against the Michigan game. Uh, that could be a good one. But like I said, I think of the one season they're left, uh, Gonzaga is still the most vulnerable, in my opinion. And I think Texas Tech finds a way to win this game. And like I had them predicted to go to the Final Four, I think they will pull that off and get there. Well, we, we, we seem to all during the year, we always seem to forget to talk about Gonzaga. We never really talk about them. They're out on the West Coast. They're in California. We never talk about it. But then March, here they are. Every single year, here they are. We say every single year. That's kind of a, a bit of an embellishment. But they certainly are there enough for us to continue to talk about the Gonzaga Bulldogs. What is it about Gonzaga that we don't hear about them until March? Weak conference. I mean, if there were teams in the West Coast Conference that were strong, I mean, St. Mary's was not a strong team this year. I mean, BYU was off. A lot of people said San Francisco was a team to look at. I saw them play it. I was not impressed. And then you look further down the list, uh, Portland's nothing's too spectacular. Uh, Loyola Barabout is long past the days of Bo Kimball, Hank Gathers. Um, there just is not a lot there that says – strong conference and granted did Zaga play strong teams in non-conference but that's you know three months before the tournament and a lot of things can change in three months so it's hard for me and I'm sure a lot of experts to put the buddy behind a team that really does not get a strong challenge from in that three-month window between the end of the non-conference season and the start of the NCAA tournament. Well, absolutely, and so we'll see what happens. Texas Tech's Gonzaga might be the – who gets the first ticket to the Final Four between the two of them? Like I said, I think Texas Tech is the one that gets here. Uh, the Big 12, granted, has not had a good tournament this year. I think even though eight of their ten got in, um, a lot of teams uh, came out flat early and they got eliminated. I think ultimately, though, the cream did rise to the top here. I think a lot of people thought Kansas was the team to beat. And uh, I said Texas Tech was the best team from that team, that conference that had a chance to get to the Final Four and uh, one more win, and uh, they will get there. And hard to believe that three of my four picks and the one only one bracket I did are still in the running to get to the Final Four. The only team I lost was Tennessee. Which, by the way, we're going to publicly shame you again for not doing a balanced bracket. But that's okay. Neither but, here nor there. Like I said, though, I just – Every time I do this, the guys, people make fun of me when I don't do so well because they take a look at my records on Yahoo and they see all these NCAA tournament pick-up trophies and think that I'm the expert. And they find every little nook and cranny to bust me on just to make fun of me when I don't have a good bracket. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's March. Let's talk a little bit about probably maybe – if we're to say the biggest game of the weekend, it is Virginia and Purdue. Purdue has finally this is this is give or take. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on the limb here. It, it, I, Purdue, great job, Matt Painter, great job. They're not a championship team. They're not a championship caliber team. But if they beat Virginia, 
I'm going to eat crow big time because well, I'll Tom, eat my hat because Tom, they, they will, they'll go to the championship game if they beat Virginia. Well, Tom, let's look at this to the Big Ten tournament. Their sorry performance against Minnesota. That's why I did not have them in the Sweet 16. In fact, I was even contemplating them going out in the first round against Gold Debate when I saw that matchup. That was a game that I thought really showed who Purdue really was, that they were not a good team and not a team you could count on. They've turned it around. The question is, though, is another Minnesota-like performance uh, in the cards today? That's the question, I think, for the rest of their run right now. Is they, Are they going to revert back to the bad habits that costed that game? But I think if you look at Virginia, I didn't mention this earlier, a guy that's got to step up for them is the other Indiana guy that they have in Kyle Guy. Uh, he has not shot the ball well in any of the three tournament games so far. Uh, I think he's the X factor. They can't just rely solely on Ty Jerome. I think if they need get to the Final Four, they need a huge performance today from Kyle Guy. Let's break it down by the numbers. Let's start with Purdue. What does Purdue have to do to beat Virginia? Break it down for us. If you're Purdue, if you're Matt Painter, if you're putting together the game plan against Virginia, the number one seed, the, 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 the team that you have to beat to get to the final four, what are you doing? What are you saying? What are you talking about? I think they need to get Matt Harms more involved. If they could hit the threes, Ryan Klein and Matt and uh, Carson Edwards, maybe get a couple from Aaron Wheeler. Another guy I'd like to see make a couple big threes for that is Sasha Stefanovic that we've not seen in much action, but with the foul throw we've seen some of the players like Klein hit, he may be a guy that has to come up big for them in this game. That would open up. That would allow the pack line to guard the perimeter, and guess who that uh, gives a uh, uh, field day inside? Matt Harms. Virginia does not have an inside guy that could deal with harms. If they force them to go to the perimeter, uh, Matt Harms could have a big day inside, have a bunch of dunks, and that could really, I think, hurt Virginia's chances of winning this ballgame. But I think those threes have got to drop for Purdue to allow that opportunity to happen. And if it does, uh, Virginia, I think, is going to have a big problem uh, trying to keep harms under control. Well, I'll I, I tell you what, though, there, there's a part of me that says there's only one Indiana school. I'm an Indiana homer. Everybody knows that. And I, I, I'm, I'm forced to root for Purdue. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, hey, well, let's, let's go Purdue. My reaction to Purdue. that is simple. Who's the last uh, Indiana school that's gotten to the, to the national championship game? That was Butler. You're right. Twice. You are right. And Butler did not make a showing. This year at all, and, and I got I gotta wonder if their coach is on the hot seat. But that's another topic for another discussion. Virginia, actually, their coach year. I think's been rumored to be going, possibly looking at another going elsewhere. Speaking yeah, of the Butler. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get into that on another time, maybe next year. Let's let's talk about Virginia. Virginia last year, completely night and day team. I mean, people were ripping up their brackets, cause, and, and, and so many people, maybe it's to the advantage of us that we're smart enough to go ahead and, and take another chance on Virginia. So many people were saying, I'll never, ever, ever put Virginia in my championship uh, bracket again, yet here they are. They, they face the Purdue Boilermakers tonight, probably, again, one of the biggest games of the, of the weekend, one of the biggest games of, of the March Madness. One of the biggest games tonight, Virginia has to beat Purdue. On all accounts, they have to beat Purdue. 
No question about that. And I think uh, keep in mind, one player that they did not have and a lot of Virginia fans blamed for that loss to UMBC was the loss to DeAndre Hunter. Well, he is healthy. He is a starter on that lineup. And I think if Kyle Guy doesn't get going, DeAndre Hunter has got to have an outstanding performance along with Jerome. Uh, the question is, could they get all the way there? If Purdue's defense does what I think they are capable of doing, I think if Kyle Guy does not shoot well, uh, I think that's going to be the Achilles heel for Virginia's chances to win this ballgame. Kyle Guy's got to show up. That's that's simple as far as Virginia's chances tonight. No question. So the guy shows up, which that's not original. Everybody's been been, been saying that. Yeah, the, the Indiana guy. guy that didn't go to the Indiana schools. He was immediately stepped <laughs> up by Cody Bennett and went to Virginia instead. Which was recruited by Pat Matt, by by Matt Painter and Purdue, by the way. It, it is kind of a good uh, uh, storyline, if you will. But the guy shows up. Virginia, Virginia wins. wins. If he does, and they win it all. Purdue has. I still think Kentucky or Duke are the two better teams in that draw. And granted, Kentucky didn't have an off night, but I have a hard time seeing them beating Kentucky in the national semifinal. So you don't think – you still – even if Virginia wins tonight, you still don't think they have a shot at the national championship? No, I don't. The, the, they're just too hot and cold, and I don't think they – with as much firepower as Kentucky has and Duke has, because Duke's played Virginia three times, and they have beaten Virginia three times. I'd, now, granted, they say it's tough to beat a team four times, but – you look at what Virginia has against Duke, and it just doesn't compare. I mean, unless Virginia has the perfect game and can keep Duke under 60, which I don't think is possible, that's the only way Virginia possibly could beat Duke. And I think the same thing applies if you're talking about Kentucky. And I just don't think they could put that together. I mean, it's just trying to mix oil and water. I just don't think they can get all the way there. Now, granted, Purdue doesn't have quite the firepower that those two schools have. But, again, I'd say if they cannot limit Edwards and Klein, I think they're going to have a hard time beating uh, Purdue today as well. So you're going on the assumption that Auburn's going to be uh, – I mean, that Kentucky's going to beat Auburn and Duke's going to beat Michigan State. So let's go ahead and get into Mars game. I saw Auburn beat North Carolina. I like Bruce Pearl and the Auburn Tigers. I, I'm, I, I know I'm going to be a – I'm going to pull Charles Barkley here, uh, but – I, I like Auburn, and I and I have them going deep. I have them going into the Final Four for a cu- in a couple brackets. The Auburn Tigers are the real deal. We got a cat fight t- tomorrow. The Wildcats against the Tigers. I am so tired of just assuming that the Kentucky Wildcats are good. And maybe it goes back to hey, uh, until they prove me wrong, or until they until they prove me differently. Uh, but at the same time. I still got to say that the the, the the Kentucky Wildcats can get beat. I'm riding the Auburn ship right now. Well, that's why I win all these trophies in the brackets. I don't get aggressive. I pick the chalk. I'm the boring guy, and I keep looking for a weakness in Kentucky, and Kentucky just cannot allow me to pick against them at this point. Now, granted, Auburn's the hot team right now. They're the lowest seed that's left. That says something. But sooner or later – a team's going to figure it out, and that that miracle and magic is going to go away. I mean, if not for that, Lolo Chicago would have won the championship last year. Uh, so you look at that scenario, uh, sooner or later 
I think the the luck's going to run out for Auburn, and I think it's going to run out Sunday, and Kentucky will win this ball game. It will be close, but I think Kentucky will find a way to get the win. And they, and if they don't, well, so well, it's just a piece of paper that bracket, <laughs> so uh, it's not going to be the total doom and gloom for me. Well, we'll see what we'll see what happens. I tell you what, it's exciting time in March. It's always exciting to see who's going to be in the Final Four. No matter who it is, I mean, let's give credit to whoever it is. But I mean, it's so hard to get there, and it's so hard to get there in repetitive years. Kentucky does find a way to do that, though. They are the one team I would say that has proven themselves to be there every single year, as well as Duke. So we really have a chalk, uh, a, a chalk bracket makeup right now. The only question, though, is if the NBA would allow these high schoolers to go directly to the NBA draft, how would that affect Duke and Kentucky? That's the only thing that I think could mess them up for maybe a year, couple years looking ahead that ultimately could hurt them in the long run. If they if start saying, the NBA says, okay, these high school seniors, you can enter the draft no problem or enter the D League, I think that could really lead a little adjustment period for both of those schools. I'll be curious to see how they would react to that. Well, we got one more game tomorrow before we know who the final four is. That's at five o'clock tomorrow. We've got Michigan State and Duke, a number one and number two. Uh, Sparty against the the Blue Devils. This is going to be a battle, and Michigan State has proven, and Duke has proven in this tournament that they aren't dominant. They are just good enough, barely to win. I don't know if they're good enough to beat Michigan State. Although for everybody's bracket, I hope they are because I think most people, a lot of people have Duke going to the national championship, if not winning at all. So certainly for the bracket purposes, uh, people, we would want to see Duke to, 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 to have that number. Uh, but Michigan State and uh, Duke, this is going to be a huge, huge battle for both Coach K and Tom Izzo. Uh, yeah, it's just as much a coaching battle, but I think it's a player battle right now. Can Cassius Winston and McQuay and them get off to the fast start like they did against LSU? If they can, and they can put some pressure on these freshmen, uh, I think Michigan State has a chance. But I think the best way to beat Duke right now is not coming from behind. They need to be leading for a majority of this game, just like Notre Dame almost did when they pull, almost pulled the upset on Kentucky a few years back. Uh, they need to be leading and putting the pressure on those three freshmen of Duke to where they start making mistakes. I think that's their only chance uh, if they're going to get the job done against Duke is they got to a fast start. They play from the front, not from behind. If they do that, I think Michigan State has a chance to beat them. Now, granted, I have Duke winning this game, but I'm just going from your perspective because I know you love the upsets. The way Michigan State wins this game is they got to a fast start and they hold the lead. They do not, if they fall behind, I really do not like their chances of coming back against Duke. So let me get this straight. Your final four, the way that we our conversation has gone, is Texas Tech, Purdue, Kentucky, Duke. Yes, and remember, the Purdue one, that was Tennessee before they lost. That's who I originally had in the final four. So actually, that okay. Purdue loss hurt me in the bracket. Otherwise, I would have had a chance to have all four of my picks get all the way there. So a little tongue-in-cheek there. I know my parents are going to kill me considering they're Purdue alumni, but I did not have them winning that ball game. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> so, uh, 
let's say that that holds t- true. So that's your final four. Who gets the championship game? Who wins based on your current final four predictions? Duke and Kentucky get there. Duke wins. Well, that's the matchup that I think America wants to see. Certainly, that's the matchup that the networks want to see. That's the matchup that ratings want to see. I just, I still, it it's just seems like. It's a chalk matchup, though, Tom. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you look at those two programs, and you just cannot find any weaknesses. Now, granted, the other one seeds and twos, there are glaring weaknesses with all of those teams, which scare me away. And initially, that's why I took Tennessee, because I thought the weaknesses weren't there. And I did not expect Admiral Schofield to, you know, get his head stuck in the sand in the tournament. Now, granted, he had a big bounce back in the Purdue game to get them back in that game. But beyond that point, I don't think he had a really strong moment in any point in this NCAA tournament. That really hurt Tennessee's chances. Well, here is my Final Four. So we'll see where where we go. Uh, Gonzaga, Virginia, Auburn, and Michigan State. That said, if that Final Four comes to be true, who's in your championship game and who wins? I would say Michigan State would get to the championship game, as would Auburn, and I think Michigan State would win. We'll see what happens. Matthew Ambry, WSBT up in South Bend, joins us. He's also our official IndyCar contributor. Let's take a few moments and break down last week's IndyCar race and we had a little bit of underage drink in there. <laughs> Car- no uh, drinking. Uh, her, her, huh? They completely only had two people on that uh, stand when they had the champagne. Now, Colton Herta was not part of that. Colton Herta took a, a sip of the alcoholic beverage. I saw it online, and, and Joseph Newgarden was like, oops, she got the well, wrong they were one told- there. Well, we were told that there was not any alcohol in there. There was another liquid in there. It was not uh, alcohol. That's what the Harding team claims. Okay. Well, it is what it is. Who cares? It's a, it's a few ships, sips of uh, of champagne. Yeah, Harding, Mike Harding, Harding and George Steinbrenner insisted there was no alcohol in that bottle that he drank from. They just did that as tradition. There was no alcohol uh-huh. in the bottle. Which I, That's their I don't care. I personally don't care if there was. It does not bother me one bit. Colton heard of one. Wow. W- rookie. Youngest uh, youngest uh, uh, IndyCar winner ever uh, as a rookie. Talk with us a little bit about last week's IndyCar race. And you saw my private message as far as gritatology. He was, remember, at the start of the year, I had Colton Herta at number 30. That would have put him as the first on the last four in. But the fact that Harding has gotten their act together, because it looked like the disorganization mess of the century when Pato Award had to be let go, and ultimately you have the questions about the financial concerns, because they still don't have really a full-time sponsor. They haven't had a full-time sponsor, I think, for any of their three seasons to date. And yet here they are with the Andretti support. They get the victory. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about potentially a second seat now opening for Indy and a guy maybe like a Carlos Munoz, who we know is a great driver in Indy, possibly joining this team. Uh, you talk about a dark horse, and you talk about Andretti. Now, I think if you're talking about Andretti entries from their flagship and supported, they have as many as six to seven chances to win the Indy 500 this year. And uh, if Honda has made some gains on the Chevrolet, unlike last year, 
uh, I think it's hard to see how Andretti uh, doesn't win the Indy 500 as an owner or as a satellite for this year's Indy 500. Uh, it, it just seems like they have the strength of numbers with as many as seven cars in the field. I tell you what, it's getting exciting to to talk about uh, IndyCar real quickly. Though let's let's digress a little bit into NASCAR. We saw the Indianapolis Motor Speedway announced that uh, the Brickyard will be held now over the Fourth of July. Last year, apparently late September uh, interference with the NFL, uh, a lot of reasons of the rain. Now we, we're going to probably it, it, it's too early to tell because we don't can't predict whether that far ahead. That was a but very probably gonna... dumb decision because look at what you have as far as Indiana on the 4th of July weekend. You have in the north. Now, granted, it's in Buchanan, Michigan, but it's Redbud. You're going to lose fans for the Brickyard 400 for that event. South, you have the Madison Regatta. That's another event where fans are not going to show up. So you are putting the Brickyard 400, which has struggled to – you know, have a good draw, and you are putting it dead against two races that are traditions for northern and southern Indiana on Fourth of July weekend. How do you think you're going to fare as far as ticket sales? Hmm? That's a very good question, but I guess a, the even better question would be if you're the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you really don't have much of a choice. It's NASCAR that makes these decisions. It's NASCAR and the TV contracts that makes these decisions, and <laughs> – it basically was the race that almost wasn't seen last year. So NASCAR kind of thought they had to address that and realize, hey, so if you're at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you're saying, uh, thank you, sir, I'll have another, especially with the That's TV the contracts. Is, though, you, might a, be, you might be okay with not having ticket sales because the, the TV contract is, this is a close over reaction to the fact that they had two rain delays. If not for those rain delays, I think this Sunday they would have had a decent draw. It would have been a great draw. There still would have been a bunch of empty seats, but it would have been way better than what they ended up having on that Monday. Let's talk a little bit about IndyCar, where they're at now. And uh, we've got a couple more races before uh, the Indianapolis uh, 500. Talk with us a little bit about what you're seeing early on in IndyCar. Uh, I think we've got a strong team in Penske with the Chevrolet engine. You have a strong team in Andretti Autosport with the Honda. You have another strong team in Ganassi, and that's why Felix Rosenquist, if you saw my list, is now in the top nine as a contender because I think they have two modified chances now, not just Scott Dixon, but also with Felix Rosenquist to get in that top nine. And what you are seeing as well is you are seeing a lot of these you know, one and done's teams now struggling, I think, just to make the field. I mean, guys like uh, Sage Karam, J.R. Hildebrand, Pippa Mann, uh, even Connor Daly, maybe even a full-timer like Zach Beach with Andretti Autosport, they're going to be sweating it out on qualifying weekend just to make this field of 33, uh, especially if the deal with uh, Carlos Munoz and Harding comes through, because that adds an extra car to the field. So, you're looking at a 38 to 39 car situation where you have to be at least five or six cars to get in. That is going to be a tough ask for some of these teams that uh, don't run the full schedule. What were your overall thoughts about the first race uh, in Austin? 
I'd say it was competitive. Now, granted, uh, you don't expect road course racing to have passes for the lead every single lap like you do on the ovals like we've seen in the past. But I'd say it was a fair race. Now, granted, it was a long race with a big track, but I think uh, the numbers of the draw was good. And as long as the ticket sales are good, I'd say that's a good sign right there from the start. All right, let's move forward. Uh, going uh, up in, on April 7th is uh, Barber Mo- uh, Motorsports. Certainly a great uh, track to watch, a fun track to watch. And if you're a fan, it's a fun track to go visit. Talk with us a little bit about Barber and IndyCar and what, what are the plans and how, how do teams get ready for Barber? I think right now, obviously, uh, getting a car that could get off a turn three good and get into that Charlotte's Web hairpin where the ultimate passing zone is, if you could do that, you have a great chance to be competitive there. And I think this is where we will see the breakthrough of another rookie and Felix Rosenquist. If he qualifies well, gets the Firestone Fast Six, uh, I think we'll have another uh, first-time winner uh, next weekend at Barber. Long Beach, certainly a great race of the 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 Indianapolis 500, the Hollywood of Hollywoods on the on the West Coast. Uh, Long Beach, uh, certainly on the streets of Long Beach before they come to the Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway for the Grand Prix. And hopefully they could get that deal squared away where they could extend the parameters of it, and if they have to make it an alteration of the track, they could successfully do it if this new stadium deal comes into play because I'd hate to see this race take it off the schedule considering all the tradition it's had as a stop on the Formula One, the car schedule, and the Indy car schedule. Uh, we'll see how it plays out with that. But uh, as far as this year, uh, you got to go with the two guys that have done well there in the past, and that's Will Power or Ryan Hunter-Ray. I'd say those are the two guys. Also at Alexander Rossi, I think, would be a factor. I think that's a track, unlike, say, Circuit of the Americas, where it was due for everybody, and then obviously Barber, which is also a mixed bag. I think veteran leadership comes to the forefront uh, when we get to Long Beach. So I think a veteran, like... Like I said, a power, a Hunter Ray or a Rossi is going to be your winner uh, for Long Beach. So we get ready for Indianapolis. Uh, let's, let's just fast forward here. We got the Grand Prix and we got the 103rd Indianapolis 500. I guess it's going to have the ring of the 100th running that we had fun ha- talking about there a couple of years ago. Um, but exciting for them to be here. Obviously, uh, and I know you and I will will uh, get together and uh, hang out at the track. But let's talk a little bit about the road course and the Grand Prix, and then we'll get into the Indianapolis 500 before we have to let you go. So I'd say that possibility. You look at uh, the IndyCar Grand Prix. The big chance right there is going to be. Um, getting through the first event and, you know, getting through all the situations there with, you know, the teams running for the championship against uh, some of the newcomers like uh, Castro Davis that will be going one-offs for that event. Um, getting through qualified, say, getting a good position on the grid is critical. Uh, we've seen the first lap crash at the first turn uh, ruin the race for many guys there. So getting a good qualifying run, obviously, that puts willpower being the advantage. And, uh, He's won two of these races. Uh, Pazdo's won twice, and uh, I'd say one of those two uh, is a good pick uh, to break through uh, to claim another victory in the IndyCar Grand Prix and become a three-time winner. 
Let's talk a little bit about the Indianapolis road course. This is kind of a unique setup in, in the aspect that we have the road course, and then when they turn it into an oval, not many, if any, courses do that. They they don't run a road course and then turn around and run an oval course. That tells you how special that Indianapolis is. Talk with us a little bit about the Indianapolis road course, because a lot of people may not be familiar with it, and if you've not been there, you'll see cars going the opposite direction. Of course, the road course was created in the year 2000. That was for the United States Grand Prix Formula One race. So that race was there until 2007 because of the tire issues and only six cars starting in 05, and that cost the popularity of it. Uh, then they held the uh, MotoGP events, and then when MotoGP left, uh, the IndyCar Grand Prix took over, and uh, they're getting some uses out of that uh, layout, uh, but they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Uh, Grant, I would have liked to have seen them still have a deal with IMSA and sports car. Unfortunately, that didn't work out, but... Uh, I think a uh, very interesting circuit and a uh, very fair circuit. I don't think it necessarily favors a, you know, road course ace or a uh, road course novice. I think anyone could have a good result at that venue. Matthew Embry, WSBT up in South Bend. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, kind of give us a, a, uh, a recap of what you're working on and where p- can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? M-A-T-T-M-B-U-R-Y on Twitter. Uh, We'll see how things play out, and for those of you in the listing area in South Bend, our coverage of uh, NCAA tournament basketball starts at 2:45. Again, that's on the main feed. Uh, our online feed will be blocked, however, though you'll have results throughout the day on CBS Sports Radio on our online stream. All right, Matthew, we appreciate you joining us. Let's see what happens as we get get into March Madness in the Final Four. Anytime, Tom. All right, buddy. Matthew Embry, uh, WSBT up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. He also uh, talks uh, college sports with us as well. It is March Madness. My name is Tom Marquis. For the next three, uh, 30 minutes, you have me and then uh, myself and uh, Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, joins us talking to, with us about the uh, owners' meetings and some world changes in the NFL and some free agency as we get ready uh, for the draft. My name is Tom Marcos, El Presidente. We'll be right back.
National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Balance one hour in the books. Thank you, Matthew Embry of WSBT up in South Bend. Joins us talking some March Madness. Man, 
is it just me? Or am I just not as mad? I want to be mad. I wanted madness in March. It just seems like we just got chalked. Big disappointment. Really? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Uh, 917-889-8516 is my digits if you want to give me a ringy ding ding and give me your thoughts on this year's March Madness. It just seems like. And maybe Matt gave a very good explanation as to to why that's going on, but it just seems like we have had a ish March Madness, March Madness by title. But are we really seeing madness here? I mean, where's been the upsets? Where's our Cinderella team? Where are the things? Where where are the brackets being ripped up? Granted, we still got tonight and tomorrow before we get to the final four, but it doesn't really matter. I don't know that we're going to see a Cinderella team this year. Thank you for the disappointment, NCAA. Actually, you know, it's 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 it is what it is. They are who we thought they are were. But damn it. It's March. We want to, we want to see some upsets. We want to see some buzzer beaters. We want to see some I mean all kinds of tweets and memes. We wanted to see UCF beat uh uh beat Duke. We wanted to see St. Mary's win. We wanted to see Irvine. We wanted to see Irvine be our Cinderella team. There's so much we wanted to see didn't happen this year. And you know what? And in all fairness, uh, congrats to the teams that have been able to to move forward and to advance. And you know, as you know, we are located here in Indianapolis, the high atop the Balance Studios of the West Suburb of Indianapolis. Uh, but we're going to root for Purdue here locally. I mean, hey, it's the home. home Home team, Indiana, the only Indiana team in the dance. IU goes to the NIT and loses to Wichita. Are you kidding me? Romeo, Romeo, wherefore out Oh, he's got a back injury. That's right. Or maybe he's going to the NBA. Playing us for a fool for a year. Or maybe we got exactly what we thought we were going to get. With I, I'm getting on a tyrant. I know that. But uh, I'm an IU guy. I'm highly disappointed in IU. And, and I, I'm not saying that Archie Miller is, is on the hot seat. But there has to be some accountability here. It, there has to be something that happens. There has to be something that that we can look back at and, and say – well, this is why IU lost. <laughs> what is that? Can somebody give me that nugget? Can somebody give me that silver bullet? <laughs> but yet here we are, March Madness. Maybe, maybe there's, the, maybe that's the madness I'm looking for. I'm, I, I'm craving and wanting is that with IU getting beat by Wichita in the NIT. Maybe that's the madness that I'm looking for. Maybe that's the madness that I want. But it just seems like, getting back on track here, I digress, I know. But it just seems like 
this year has been a disappointment. It's like, I don't know. It's like going to this, looking forward to going to this really nice steakhouse. You get a nice steak, and the steak's just, uh, it's tasty, you know. It's good. But is it really worth the money I paid for? Is it really worth the hype? I don't know. Do I want to write a Yelp uh, review? I mean, because if I was to write a Yelp review, which, by the way, Yelp needs to pay me for some advertising here. But if I was to write a Yelp review on this year's March Madness, it would be ish. Okay-ish. It was okay. I mean, we saw some basketball. But it's chalk. Chalk is very bland. Have you ever tasted chalk as a kid? I cannot confirm nor deny that I have. But chalk is very non-tasty. Just not, it's not good to the taste buds. Other stuff. We like to have the sizzle. Talk about selling the sizzle. Now, am I going as far as to blame the committee? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm not on that bandwagon. Blame the committee. This team should have got in. This other team should have got in. Oh, by the way, let's extend the amount of teams uh, that we have in the tournament. No, if there's one thing that the NCAA has right as far as tournament-wise goes, it is March Madness. It is what it is. But and there's reasons why we have the number one seeds that we have. North Carolina was the first number one seed to fall to Auburn. I think the Tigers are the real deal. I know, Matthew, you kind of disagreed with me a little bit on this, but I think the Tigers are the real deal. I think they can beat UK. Yeah, I'm, I'm the guy that goes for the upsets. Because I want my madness. What is wrong with that? We call it March Madness for a reason. I want that. I want that feeling of like, oh, crap, I picked the wrong team. I want that feeling of tearing up my bracket. I want that. I want that. We didn't get that this year. We might kind of still get it if Duke gets beat or if UK gets beat. But really, are we going to get that? Are we going to get what we really want out of the March Madness? Are we going to are we going to be satisfied for staying up all hours of the night, getting a couple hours of night's sleep uh, when when it first starts, because we want to stay up and watch all the games? The satisfaction of not encouraging this, but non productivity at work may or may not happen. Are we going to get the satisfaction of filling out all of these brackets? Are we going to get the satisfaction of, of, of seeing your brackets at work with coworkers and everything that we get excited about? It's like Christmas. We want to open up presents only to get underwear? Come on, Mom. I want more than underwear. I want that, I want that Red Rider uh, BB gun that's hidden behind the, the tree after all the presents have been opened. I want that. I didn't get that. I didn't get my 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 BB gun this year. I got socks. I got the bunny suit. 
I did not get what I wanted. I'm 50 years old. I don't always get what I want, but come on. Once a year, basketball gods, is it too much to ask that I get my madness? I want my madness. I want my steak. I want my sizzle. I want my baby gun. It did not happen this year. Did not happen. So maybe maybe it will. I'm hoping and praying. Fingers crossed. But there's still nothing out there yet that's going to create the the madness. Is there anything out there at all that's going to create the madness going into the Final Four? Are we going to get all worked up? Are we going to get all worked up over today's game? If Texas Tech beats Gonzaga Bulldogs, are we going to, woo! Well, yeah, we might, because Gonzaga is probably in a lot of brackets. But it's not going to give us that deep gut-wrenching thrill. Although I did say earlier that, you know, I I, uh, took the gamble on Virginia. And a lot of people like, oh, because of what happened. Because you got your madness last year. You got your madness. (laughs) We didn't get it this year. That's what I'm saying. If Gonzaga gets beat, it's 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 like oh my bracket oh well, but guess what? If you if you've gone this far with your brackets, chances are you're probably probably in the top five of your standings of your of your pool, depending on who where where you did it at. But it's it's if 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 Gonzaga beats Texas Tech, that's good. That's chalk. Doesn't taste good. Not very tasty. I want taste. I want sizzle. I want to be mad in March. What is wrong with me? My Maybe the only hope to my let's get mad, but I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to root this on too much because I do have Virginia going on. I know I'm, I'm a hypocrite. I'm talking about chalk and I picked chalk, but I wanted some other stuff in the meantime. (laughs) I might get a little bit of satisfaction, a little bit of satisfaction. If the Boilermakers uh, meet, beat the Cavaliers today, tonight. Right. It'll be exciting for Purdue. Don't get me wrong. It's an exciting storyline. Because I said earlier, Purdue's not a championship caliber team. Come on. And I'm not just saying that because it's Purdue. They're just not. They're not a Duke. They're not a North Carolina. They're not a Kentucky. They're just not a championship caliber team. So if there is any Cinderella out there at all, it is with Purdue. I mean, not even Texas Tech would I would I would I say that. I know they're both ranked number three and number three seeds. 
the highest, I mean, the lowest ranked seed left in the tournament is Auburn. And we saw what they were able to do last night against North Carolina. Did that give us our feel? Did that give us our gratification of madness? I didn't get it. I didn't feel it. I didn't feel the love. I didn't feel the madness. I want to be mad. (laughs) I want my madness. So you got Auburn taking on UK tomorrow. By all accounts, that's going to be a great game. That's going to be a very good game. And we might get a little bit of a taste. It's like an appetizer. Maybe not even that. Maybe it's like sitting at the restaurant waiting to get that great steak with a little red disc, waiting for it to vibrate. And when it vibrates, you're like, oh, hell yeah. We might get that. But we're not going to get our our Cinderella, the glass slippers broken, all the cliches that we use in the March, March Madness. We're not going to get this year. Even if all the upsets happens, what, what are we talking about? Michigan State, good team. What are we talking about? Auburn, good team. Purdue proving themselves to be a good team. Texas Tech, good team. All good teams win, even if all the upsets happen today and tomorrow. And we get into the Final Four with upsets. Even if that happens, we're still sitting there with a vibrating red disc. I'm just wanted to talk about how good vibration feels. <laughs> I digress with my, my male juvenile humor. But I'm just not getting that that feel. That feel I would have had if UCF would have beat Duke. That feel I, if I would have had if St. Mary's would have went to uh, the Final Four. That feel I would have had if, if Irvine would have would have pulled it off and, and been in the Final Four. That kind of feeling is what I'm looking for. It's not going to happen this year, and I need to get over it. I need to accept. Or do I retire my March Madness? Do I retire as a, as a sports fan? Do I retire my March Madness and, and say, hey, I'm no longer going to get mad. I'm no longer going to expect madness in March. I'm going to expect mediocrity. That's a hard word to say on a Saturday morning. <laughs> I digress. I go on my little rants every now and then. But... uh one thing I won't get mad about, and I'll be ecstatic about, when you download our podcast or you go to our social media and you, and you follow us on social media, at T-Balance. <laughs> You're like, can somebody make this guy mad? <laughs> Probably the only guy in history that says, I want to be mad. Do we even watch the NIT? Is that where our madness is, like I mentioned earlier? Are you getting beat by Wichita? Is our madness nothing against US High? Hey, I'm from Evansville. I'm great, great school. (laughs) 
It's it's the other school in Evansville that you don't have to study for. Never mind. I digress. Is my madness in the D two? Is that did I miss that? Because my madness <clears throat> was not in D one. My madness was not in D one this year. Maybe I need to expand. Maybe I need to to look deeper into the crystal ball of madness. But you know what? I guess I, I guess I can't complain too awfully much uh, because I am doing okay in my brackets. <laughs> Somewhat okay. I'm not leading, but I'm I'm like in third and fourth and in second and another. And I've only had one bracket that's maybe even fell apart, but I'm still somewhat alive there, and that was the the Michigan upset. Did I get my madness there? Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe you're like me, or maybe you're not like me. Maybe you're like Mike. (laughs) Jokes. I got jokes. I got plenty of jokes. We're going to be uh, connecting with Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, and our official NFL contributor, uh, writes for Football Maven slash Eagles. Got a good pickup, Jordan Howard. We're going to talk about that with him. Under the radar, who saw that coming? Jordan Howard to the Eagles? Who saw that coming? It's like a little free agency, a little pre-draft workup. You know, we just gotta, we just gotta have our NFL fix. It's like we gotta have our in a March Madness with no madness. This year. You're like, get off of the soapbox already. This is what happens when we we have uh, we have good teams. In the in the in the committee, maybe did what they were supposed to do, but we have r- upsettable teams that that just didn't show up when it counted. Is that where my madness is? Am I mad at the at the Irvines? Am I mad at the St. Marys? Am I mad at the other teams that just couldn't get it done? Maybe I'm missing it. Maybe that is where my madness should be at. Maybe. Just didn't feel it this year. Just didn't feel it. It's like, kick me in the junk. Thank you, sir. I have another. (laughs) It's like it didn't hurt. Kick me in the junk again. Didn't hurt. I want it to hurt. I want to get mad. Oh, I have a sickness, don't I? But that's okay. It'll all go away. It'll all go away. My name is Tom Marquisel Presidente. Thank you for joining us on The Balance. We do this thing called The Balance every Saturday morning. Thank you for downloading the podcast, listening to us wherever you get your podcast at, at uh, T-Balance on Twitter, The Balance on Facebook. Stitcher, tune in, 
Apple Podcasts, really wherever you can find your podcast at, you can find us at. Thank you to Matthew Embry, WSBT, up in South Bend, joined us earlier for the first hour. We were trying to create madness. But hey, let's 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 all unite together and let's say that whoever gets to the championship game is our bland steak, is our chalk. That's how I see it. Unfortunately, that's how it, it shouldn't be worked up about it because Here's the thing. Number one teams, good teams. It is really kind of doing what the tournament was supposed to do and designed to do. And that is to create a national championship, a championship team of the best of the best. It's to create that. But part of why we call it March Madness is because we get to rip up brackets and because we get to see the upsets and because we get to experience what we call the madness of March. Am I wrong? A few more minutes here before we connect with Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, joins us talking the NFL owners. Some big changes happening uh, this year. Changes that should make Saints fans very happy. So we'll talk about that. Eagles pick up Jordan Howard. We're going to talk about that. Some free agency. Going to talk about that. Going to start checking off boxes for the draft. Keep in mind that we will do our official mock draft the weekend before the draft, which is down in Nashville. Are we a fan of the NFL draft going on for four freaking days. Are we a fan of that? Is that where I'm going to find my madness this year? Is that where I'm going to get mad at? Because I'm not going to start watching. I'm not going to watch four days of the draft. I want to see who goes in the first top ten. I want to criticize that or whatever. We already know he's going to go number one. For the most part, I think we all agree to that. Hint, he's not playing baseball. Just saying. Rhymes with Murray. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right, guys. My name is Saul Marquisel Presidente. Going to take a break. Going to get back here. Going to be talking with Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. I'll tell you what. I want my madness. Somebody find me my madness.
Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, welcome back to the Dallas Braves. I'm Mark Russell, Presidente. Thank you to Matthew Embry. Uh, the first hour joined us talking some March Madness, and you guys listened to my rant for the last 30 minutes about looking for my madness. Maybe Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, official NFL contributor, can bring me my madness this year. Ed, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm good, Tom. How you doing? Good. Watch, enjoying I mean, these basketball games? I tell you what, I was that's what I that's what I went on a rant about the last half hour. It's like I we want March Madness because we want the madness. There's nothing 
there's nothing exciting happening. I go to, it's like going to a steakhouse, ordering a nice steak, and it's just, uh, it's okay. I feel like I'm sitting there waiting for my table, waiting, waiting for something to happen with that little red disc vibrating. And I get to my table, order my steak, and it's just so-so. Look forward to some really madness this year. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Yeah. Well, chalk. Well, how are you? Have you ever tasted chalk? It's, 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 it doesn't, uh, it's kind of bland. I, well, I, I never. I had my mouth. I had my mouth washed out with soap when I was younger, but never chalk. So well, there you go. I, I, I don't know go. how it tastes, but you, so you must be doing pretty well in your bracket then, if it's chalk, right? Unless you went out on some shaky limbs and picked some upsets. Well, I do a few. I do a few brackets every year. I do my upset brackets because that's where I get my all my excitement. And then I do my chalk brackets, which is kind of where we're at. So yes, I'm doing very well. And you're publicly shamed for not joining the balance this year. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, I tell you, I, I, I'm so busy this time of year, it seems, and it's just hard to uh, sit down and uh, put it all together. Um, I understand. But, uh, you know, I've been, well, I've been, yeah. No, no, go ahead. So, so let's let's get into the topic. I want to talk about the owners' meetings. I want to talk about some rule changes that we talk, that we saw. Get a recap of the owners' meeting. But hey. Congrats to the Philadelphia Eagles. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, writes for football, Maven slash Eagles. I probably got that wrong because I don't have it right here in front of me, but it's close. And uh, and yeah. uh, certainly our official NFL contributor. Great pickup, Jordan Howard. Nobody saw that coming. At least I didn't. You guys got to feel happy about getting a very good running back. Yeah, uh, you know, the Eagles have been talking to the Bears for quite a while on this deal uh, with Jordan Howard, and they were trying to also talk with the Browns about getting Duke Johnson. Um, but I think the Browns are probably going to hang on to him until Kareem Hunt comes back, and I think the Eagles were probably told that. Uh, so they pulled the trigger on Jordan Howard. And, you know, to me, there's really, uh, you know, I mean, they're getting him for pretty dirt cheap, a sixth-round pick that could flex into a fifth-round pick. So, you know, you kind of wonder what the Bears were thinking. I know they have, uh, you know, Mike Davis and Tariq Cohen that uh, will get the bulk of the carries there. But, uh, you know, Jordan Howard is a pretty good running back. Um, you know, he set the rookie rushing record uh, in Bears history in 2016 with over 1,300 yards. And, um, you know, they really kind of count on him to carry the ball a lot. His production has slipped a little bit the last couple of years. But, um you know, he, for the Eagles, he's a perfect fit. They they don't need to have a lead back. You know, they don't they don't give the ball to one guy the whole time. In fact, Doug Peterson, in his time during his head coaching here, he's never given the ball to one runner more than 20 times a game, except three times. So uh, there's not a real history of Eagles running backs going for over a thousand yards. And when they had one of those guys in Lashawn McCoy, they went 0 3 in the playoffs. So. You know, this running back by committee approach works for the Eagles. Jordan Howard is just a piece in that puzzle. Um, and I think he's a good piece. You know, I think he's, a, you know, your first and second down back. And I'm not sure he's a three down back with the way Corey Clement can catch the ball out of the backfield or a Wendell Smallwood or maybe somebody they pick up in the draft. So uh, he's a good piece. And when you look at what the Eagles have now in place for Carson Wentz, they have three receivers that are very good. And Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, and uh, Nelson Aguilar, they have two tight ends. You know, they probably have the best one in the game now that Garnkowski's retired and Zach Ertz. Uh, and then Dallas Goddard had a terrific rookie season. And now you add Jordan Howard as, as a piece in the backfield. Uh, you know, to me, it's a it's a win-win for the Eagles. And then when you talk about maybe Jordan Howard losing a step, when you look at the last five weeks of the 2018 regular season for the Bears, the Bears went 4-1 and one to 
to kind of wrap up that number three playoff seed to win the NFC North title. And in those five games, Howard averaged four and a half yards per carry, and he had 200-yard games in that stretch, one against the Vikings and one against the Rams. So that doesn't look to me like Howard's done. It's, it's really a mystery to me why the Bears uh, decided to, you know, kind of go away from a veteran running back like Howard. But, hey, the Eagles got him on the cheap, and they're happy to have him. He's a perfect fit. The Eagles are now looking at the post-Jolio uh, St. Nick years. Uh, Jolio St. Nick is a Jaguar now. Going to be kind of weird seeing him in the the, the uh, Jaguar uniform and in the AFC South playing against my Colts. Uh, what is the plan? You can't replace uh, Nick Foles. You just can't. He's a, probably one of the best backup quarterbacks that won a starting job in the NFL, certainly won you a Super Bowl, uh, NFL uh, uh, Super Bowl in a, uh, MVP. How does the Eagles go on? Let's face it. Let's. I know we, we, we want to live in this world of puppy dogs and butterflies. The Carson Wentz is never going to get hurt again, but we know Carson Wentz is prone to injury. Somebody has to step up. Who is that guy that you guys are confident is going to take the place of Jolly O St. Nick. Yeah. Well, obviously you hope that he can play all 16 games like he did as a rookie. Uh, you know, he played all 16 that year. Uh, so he has done it. It's not like he hasn't done it. It's just the last two years. He hasn't been able to finish the season, obviously. So, you know, they're going to hope to keep him upright. They're going to hope that he can make quicker decisions, get rid of the ball a little bit faster uh, and hope that he can answer the bell. Uh, for all 16, because they want to sign him to a long-term contract. Howie Roseman, their uh, uh, their general manager out to, at the owners' meetings in Phoenix, said that they want to extend him to a long-term contract, uh, whether it comes this off-season or he plays this year and to see if he can stay healthy. If he can, then he's going to get more money uh, in his next deal. If the Eagles extend him now, maybe they get him a little bit cheaper because of the injury factor. Um, but we'll see if he does get hurt. They have Nate Sudfeld who nobody knows uh, what he's capable of. The Eagles seem to think that he's capable of uh, stepping into that backup role. Should something happen. And then we all know the NFL, you need two quarterbacks to win. We saw that with the Eagles and Nick Foles, him coming in to win the, 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 the Super Bowl and be the MVP. So you look at a situation like the Cardinals have with Kyler Murray being bounced around as the number one pick, and would they trade Josh Rosen uh, because Murray's there? I, you know, I don't know. I think you need two quarterbacks, and if you draft Kyler Murray and you have Josh Rosen, that's, that's two pretty good quarterbacks for the Cardinals uh, to have, and you know, we know we need two of them. Uh, as far as the Eagles go, there's really nobody out on the free agent market that excites, excites me anyway that's left. So I expect the Eagles to probably draft a developmental-type quarterback maybe on the third day of the draft or uh, even bringing maybe somebody in as an undrafted free agent, some names like Kyle Shermer, who played at Vanderbilt, has a history in Philadelphia, went to LaSalle High School College here in Philadelphia when his father was the offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer, now the head coach of the Giants. Uh, He was a ball boy for training camp uh, when Chip Kelly and Pat Shermer were in town uh, so he's a possibility. Maybe Trace McSorley. I'm not sure he's going to get drafted. Maybe you take a flyer on him, and then you and then you develop him. Uh, but you have to make sure you're comfortable with Nate Sudfeld. And the Eagles seem to feel like they're very comfortable with Nate Sudfeld. Should have something happen to Wentz. Well, I hope so. But Nate Sudfeld doesn't have a proven track record yet. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. No. Uh, before before we get into some of these these other things, you mentioned Josh Rosen. I mean, are, are are the Cardinals 
should they hang on to Josh Rosen? Because you know they want to bring in Kyler Murray and, and, and make him the guy. And so that pushes Josh right. Rosen to second place. One, if I'm Josh Rosen, I think, hey, I, I deserve a shot as a starting quarterback. And two, are the Cardinals going to say, hey, let's, let's do some negotiating here. Is it in both of their best interests that he gets traded? Well, I mean, look, Josh Rosen's a young kid, one year in the league. I, I'm not sure he's ready to dictate any terms of his. I mean, I think if you're the Cardinals and you take Murray, you catch it and say, look, this is going to be an open competition, and we legitimately mean it. Let's see who the better quarterback is. Whoever is the best quarterback starts. Um, well, we already right, know who that is. Murray. We already know who yeah, that right. is. Yeah, right. Kyler Murray, presumably, yeah. I mean, you would think that it would be Kyler Murray. So, look, Josh Rosen, he's, he's had one year in the league, a very down year at that, not very good. Lots of interceptions, low completion percentage. So, hey, you know, you're Josh Rosen. You have to put on a happy face, and you have to go out there every day and continue to get better, knowing that something could happen, and you're just a play away from possibly uh, getting your next shot. Um, you know, you can try and dictate a trade all you want, and the Cardinals might want to do that, but I, I certainly wouldn't give him away for a third-round pick or, or even a second-round pick. You know, a lot of people have tied him with the Giants. You know, if I'm going to trade Josh Rosen, I'm coming out and I'm asking for the Giants 17th pick overall. That's it. You don't give me that. We'll hang on to him. Uh, And, you know, we'll create a a competition in our quarterback quarterback room. Uh, I wouldn't give him away. I I certainly wouldn't do that. Josh Rosen is in no position to say, hey, I want this or I want to be traded. You know, he doesn't have that kind of cachet in the NFL yet. If he wants to sit out, fine, go sit out. But we're not going to trade you until we get what we feel is fair value. They spent, what what was it, a a tenth-round pick on him last year? You're not going to give him away for a third. I I would not do that uh, even if I draft Kyler Murray. But, you know, they're the Cardinals for a reason, and they haven't won anything because they are the Cardinals. So who knows knows what they're thinking in Arizona? And I I like the the, the theory of, hey, let's create a competition – I think that would be more publicity than anything because I think they know before the competition even starts who they would select as their quarterback, which I think would be why Josh Rosen would say, hey, I, this isn't a true competition. I don't, ha- I don't stand a shot no matter how good I do in camp, no matter how good I do. I don't, I don't stand a shot. And the first, first game, if we go out there and we lose the first game, I don't stand a shot. There's no real competition there, no matter how they try to dress it up. It, it's still putting lipstick on a pig, if you ask me. But uh, anyway, it is what it is. But, hey, let's talk a little bit about, speaking of Arizona, uh, the owners' meetings. Uh, one of the big takeaways was the fact that they decided that uh, the, the challenges and replays, that we can start challenging some calls. Walk us through the new rule. Obviously, if you're a Saints fan, you've got you to feel somewhat of redemption uh, that, this, that this happened. And it, it, we, we were going to get here sooner or later, so now we're here uh, with, with the new rule change. Talk with us about the rule change, the challenges, what, what was and what is now Except what wasn't acceptable and what is now acceptable, and obviously, again, Saints fans gotta gotta like this. Yeah, I, you know, I to me, I, I'm all for getting a call right, um, you know, but there's a lot of uh, subjectivity that goes into these calls, and you know, you could probably call a penalty on just about every single uh, play in the NFL. I mean, what about holding? Why, why don't we get to the point where we're going to call, uh, you know, review holding or non-holding holding calls? Uh, along the offensive and defensive lines. To me, I just think, uh, you know, it's going a little overboard to me. I think it's a can of worms to have to replay uh, pass interference 
Um, I guess it's part of the challenge system now. The teams still get those two challenges per half, and then you can, uh, you know, if you get one right, you get an extra one. But, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that to stop the game for uh, what could be pass interference or not, to me, I just think is a can of worms. And um, I, I don't really like it. I mean, we'll see how it plays out. We'll see if it doesn't – you know, I, I don't want games to slow down, and I don't want them to take five minutes to review you know, all these plays during the course of a game. But if I guess if it gets it right uh, and doesn't delay things further, then maybe it's the right move. I mean, we're going to see how it is. But, you know, right now, two weeks or so after that rule is passed or a week after it's passed, I, I'm not sure it is the right move. I, I think it's kind of a can of worms. And um, just because I do think that some of these PI calls uh, could go either way, and some of them are going to take a while, I think, to determine if it was PI or not. Um, you know, I looked at some of the highlights of some of these PI plays that weren't called last year very borderline you know holding down of the arm for you know a fraction of a second I mean is that going to be called a PI I mean I I just think that you know there has to be a level of consistency when you make these calls and I think that it could become a little bit scrambled uh like okay one one week it's it isn't PI the next week a similar play is PI I just don't think that it's uh been very well thought I think it was kind of a knee-jerk reaction to a coach in New Orleans and a fan base that cried for weeks and weeks about a play that didn't go their way. When week after week, plays go against teams all the time, but you don't hear the level of whining that you heard coming out of New Orleans, which to me was a disgrace in itself. Well, it's it's like the 2016 election, right? <laughs> if we could only redo it, right? <laughs> Sorry, that was my political well, pun you, for there, the week. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you can't you can't go back and redo anything. I mean, that's that's the thing is, you know, you, you you live with it and you move on, and you move on as the best you can. And I just think that you know what Sean Payton, you know, they really bent over backwards, so to speak, to appease Sean Payton and that fan base. You know, they're talking about bringing in what, what the, the the state judicial system to to rule on it, and they wanted them to come back and play the final two minutes. The Saints had a chance to win that game for crying out loud in overtime, and Breeze threw an interception. I mean, I don't. I just don't understand. Uh, you know, this knee-jerk reaction, and we're, we're going to see how it plays out. But to me, right now, looking at it a week after this rule is passed, I, I don't like it one bit. So, so speaking of moving forward in the owners' meetings, uh, what do you think? Or I mean, a lot of this behind closed doors, but you have to admit there were some conversations about Bob Kraft. Apparently, he's not against all kneeling. Uh, another bad joke. Somebody stop me! But uh, <laughs> I just got it. It, it, it just got it, over my head. It, it, when, it, when, when it hits you, it hits you. It's there. But uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> a good one. where where did the Patriots go with this? He apologized for apparently nothing that he's admitting to. I, I really could care less if he pays for a happy ending. Turns out that he got two happy endings that day. He was he was in Florida and then in Kansas City. So nonetheless, uh, yeah. but is the time come for him to to just turn over the reins to his son, which was in in the goings anyway? Robert Kraft and the New England Patriots, they're they're superhero Marvel heroes whatever you want to call them, there's not much that can happen as, as they've proven in the past that's going to change their legacy, that's going to change their dynasty. Bob Kraft should just retire, enjoy his millions, and as many happy endings as he wants. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I mean, they're, they're the gold standard, that franchise, no question about it. 
you know, and why not retire when you're on top? And that's no pun intended there either. But um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we could go along with this all day long. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah, we probably could. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I look. I mean, yeah, he's an old man. You know, where else is he going to get what he wants to satisfy his needs? I don't know. But I guess the crux of it too is. Was there, you know, the, the slavery, the child slavery thing going on there? I, I don't really know, but uh, it certainly puts him in a bad light. And, uh, you know, he pled, like you said, he apologized for something he apparently didn't do. He pled not guilty, but then he apologized for doing what he just pled not guilty to. So that, uh, you know, that's kind of a strange look. I mean, look, something happened, something, obviously something went on. And uh, if, if it was just as innocent as that, uh, you know, getting a so-called happy ending from, you know, someone that was of legal age uh, and there on her own free will, then, you know, so be it. Move on. But uh, there might be more to it than that. I'm not sure we'll ever know. And, and maybe it is time for him to kind of just go out and enjoy his millions or billions or whatever he's worth and, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of be a figurehead of the franchise and let his son run things. As they say, when the M turns into a V, it's just another letter. You know, here, here's the thing, in all fairness to Bob Kraft, and then we want to want to just make sure we address this. He's not been accused of being involved in any type of, of uh, uh, a sex trafficking incident at all. Uh, so that said, that's just a presumption because that was the investigation that was going on. And in, in, in putting on my non-lawyer hat, but listening to lawyers talk. In the state of Florida, it is illegal to ask for an ID without probable cause. It's also they pulled over his chauffeur. He was not driving. Uh, it's also illegal in the state of Florida to ask for the passenger's ID without probable cause. Uh, they made up some hunky dunky thing of why they pulled him over, which is why they pulled him over was just was just to get his ID. And there's no audible audio because the the a court order that said that they could monitor the facility said monitor only, no audio. So no audio means they did not hear any type of solicitation. To to prove solicitation, you have to hear audio saying, I'm offering you X amount of money for X amount of actions sexually-wise. So that was not heard, which is why the – Courts are saying, okay, we'll drop this and make it just a citation, but we want you to admit that you would have been proven guilty in the court of law. No lawyer is going to let their their client do that, whether or not it's Bob Kraft or not. So that said, in all fairness, we don't know, and we probably never will know because his lawyers have been very successful in getting this – the sealed, so we'll never see the tapes. If it gets out, then there's going to be a lot of repercussions, a lot of damages. People are going to get fired and go to jail. So it's the chances of us ever seeing this tape that's out there is not going to happen. So we don't know. Uh, what other recaps right. can, do we have? Do we have from the owners yeah, meeting I, that that are some takeaways? Go ahead. I was I was just going to say, you know, one final thing on that crash. So maybe so maybe that's his punishment is that. You know, he's not found guilty in the court of law, but this is a, 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 an embarrassing situation uh, that will always uh, follow him now. And, you know, when you talk 10 years down the road about the Patriots dynasty, you'll mention, obviously, their, their, the spy gate and their uh, cheating. And they'll mention Tom Brady's deflated balls. 
and, and you'll mention Kraft's inflated ball. Well, I mean, Kraft's uh, – because uh, his wrong. Maybe his wrong crap this, played so. it that day. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. So, I mean, that's just another chapter, I think, in 10 years or so when we're talking about the Patriots dynasty that, that will be brought up uh, when you talk about all the good that they did. You'll also talk about, you know, the bad, the Spygate, Brady's balls, and Kraft's balls. So, uh, you know, that's, that's something that will – maybe that's the just punishment is that this is kind of the embarrassing stain uh, so to speak, that won't go away. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about the precedent that the Steelers set in the, and that the Browns have set also. They've both got trade happy. I think this Antonio Brown thing, this Bell thing, and then all of the trades that the, that the Browns did, maybe giving them a competitive advantage, but – uh, the NFL executives are really concerned about the precedent that these trades are setting. What are your thoughts? Oh, uh, you know, I like the fact that there's trades in the NFL, you know, I mean, we see it in baseball and, and that's what makes that hot stove in baseball. So exciting. You know, you, you, you know, you hit June and July and you start seeing who's going to get traded. And, you know, I like the fact that there's trades and, and I come at it from a perspective where the Eagles uh, certainly are no strangers to trades. I mean, look at Howie Roseman. He traded uh, Michael Bennett to the Patriots this offseason. He made three trades um, under the radar because they didn't have that same impact that, you know, Cleveland had in acquiring Olivia Vernon, who, by the way, is a very under-the-radar trade for them. Everybody's talking about Odell Beckham, but Olivia Vernon, opposite uh, the other pass rusher there, Miles Garrett, uh, that makes that defense so much better. Um so, you know, I, I'm not opposed to trades at all. I, you know, I don't, you know, if you can make them in the NFL where there was a time where the trade deadline in the NFL was, was very boring, very quiet. Nobody even knew when it was because there was no activity. Uh, to me, uh, by allowing trades and having trades like this, it keeps the NFL people talking about the NFL uh, for months and months and months until the season begins. So I have no problem with them. I'm not sure why the, uh, why the owners would too. Um, I think that I don't see any problem with them. I like the trades. You know, like I said, with the Eagles, they got Deshaun Jackson in the trade. They got Jordan Howard in the trade, traded away Michael Bennett. The Raiders traded for Antonio Brown. I mean, there, there have been lots of trades that have taken place. And, um, you know, teams do them for a reason. I think maybe they're worried of the fact that maybe the Miami Dolphins now look like they're kind of trying to tank the season the way the Cleveland Browns did for a number of years to kind of build up the, the cap collateral and the, and the draft picks and then parlay it into what they have now, which is probably the most talented roster in the, uh, in their division. And, and now maybe there's a fear that more teams will do it. And it looks like the dolphins might be trying to do it um, by trading away Tannehill and uh, signing Fitzpatrick. So, you know, maybe that's a concern, but to me, I love the trades. I like uh, when there's activity in the league and it keeps fans uh, very much engaged through an off season. Talking with Ed Kratz, Pete Ryder for the Philadelphia Eagles, our official NFL contributor, talking NFL trades, uh, talking uh, the owners' meetings, just trying to get our fix in uh, so that we could so we could keep talking about football. Uh, but baseball started up this week. Uh, let's get an amen. Baseball's yeah. back. My Cardinals are back. I, I have to make the my amen. have to make my annual uh, prediction that the Cardinals are going to go to the World Series, and we'll see what happens. But uh, <laughs> well, but, you, you know, know you were talking about the way. The- you know the way the Cardinals run the organization, you could you could say that legitimately every year and be have a chance to get that right. You know the Cardinals always seem to be in the mix. I love Paul Goldschmidt. That guy could be the MVP Absolutely. of the league. 
Um, Absolutely. So yeah, you could you could say that every year the Cardinals have are going to go to the World Series and have a legitimate chance to be right. I love the way they do things in St. Louis and the way they run that organization. The Phillies, Bryce Harper, big contract. The Angels, yeah. uh, Mike Trout, that's cute. Uh, <laughs> it's just a matter of time till somebody makes a billion dollars playing baseball. But nonetheless, uh, you got to be happy with the Phillies and Bryce Harper. I think he's going to be there for a long time. Well, he's obviously going yeah, to be there you know. for a long time. He solidified that. <laughs> yeah, he did. And, you know, uh, it, it's funny because there's a, a local sports radio station here in Philadelphia that is trying to make a villain out of Mike Trout because, you know, Mike Trout obviously uh, is a Philadelphia sports fan. He comes to all the Eagles games. Him and Carson Wentz are huge buddies. And, you know, it seems whenever an Eagles score a touchdown at home, Mike Trout's sitting in the front row and one of them goes over and gives him the football and, you know, he grew up in South Jersey, right over the bridge from Philadelphia. Um, so there's a local radio station that's trying to turn him into a villain for electing to stay in the, you know, California, where there's no pressure. The Angels probably won't win anything. Uh, you know, fans are hit or miss out there as far as cheering for sports teams. And um, they're trying to make him sound like a villain, and they don't want him to come to any more Eagles games, or they want him booed when he comes here. And uh, just trying to stir the pot, but you know, Mike Trout had to do what was right for him, and man, that's a lot of money—four hundred and forty million. And I think Bryce Harper knew that, you know, he, his record wasn't going to stand for long because Trout was out there, but um, still a lot of money. And, and Bryce Harper in Philadelphia, I think, will, you know, will he live up to that contract? Probably not. But will he help this team win games, uh, you know, on a fairly regular basis? I think he will. Uh, a lot of excitement in Philadelphia, not only because Bryce Harper's here, but you. You know, they had Andrew McCutcheon, who was a former MVP, who opened the season this year with a leadoff home run in the Phillies' opening day win over the Braves 10-4. to You know, they signed um, uh, the, the closer, Dave Robertson, who, who might be a setup man, a very good eighth-inning man, while Sir Anthony Dominguez has the closing role. Um, JT Real Muto, they got him in a trade, the best catcher probably in the National League, maybe in all of baseball. Um, you know, so there's, there's excitement. Uh, with those additions, and I think the Eagles, or the Phillies are going to be a pretty good team, uh, and will contend for the NL East. Pitching might be a little bit of an issue, uh, but uh, we'll see what they do at the trade deadline. Here we go with trades again. Uh, I think they'll <laughs> probably be in the race, and they'll probably want to add a pitcher. Who it will be, and what they'll have to give up, who knows? But that's something again with trades. It's something we're going to talk about, uh, and it's going to keep baseball in Philadelphia at the you know on the front burner where usually it's the Eagles all the time. Now the Phillies are kind of getting back in the mix here, and, and we're going to talk about baseball and what pitchers are out there. And, you know, there is an excitement that has been generated. It'll be interesting to see. They play at 4 o'clock on Saturday. It'll be interesting to see how they follow up crowd-wise. They had an opening day crowd of close to 45,000 sellout. Uh, we'll see how that if, if that can continue. But there is definitely a buzz and an excitement in Philadelphia with Bryce Harper, but also those other guys I mentioned, McCutcheon, Real Muto, um, Gene Segura, the shortstop, very good uh, uh, hitter, uh, fielder. So, you know, there's a lot of excitement here uh, in Philadelphia over the Phillies. I'm excited for heaven's sakes, and, uh, you know, it's not even April yet. <laughs> yeah, it is almost. A couple, couple more days. But, uh, couple but yeah, I mean, I, we're both National League guys, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, some new world changes and yeah. stuff. A long season to go, but uh, – uh, I hope Bryce Harper does well for the Phillies. Unfortunately, guys are in the National League, so I'm just saying, uh, go Cardinals. <laughs> yeah. Ed Kratz. Well, you know, I was just going to go say, ahead. it's interesting you mentioned the, the rule changes. I mean, I think it's not long before the NL comes 
along and takes the uh, designated hitter. Uh, you know, there's talk about that. And, you know, certainly if that happens, Bryce Harper would probably become the DH most days uh, for the Phillies. So I think that's going to happen sooner or later where they uh, adopt the DH. And I think they should. I think it's time to do it. Yeah, I disagree with that, but that's neither here nor there. I'm I'm an old man, get up to my lawn, traditionalist. (laughs) I I understand. Well, that's the conversation for another day, I guess. Absolutely. Ed Kratz, beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles, our official NFL contributor. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces? Hit me on Twitter, uh, at Kratzy, K-R-A-C-Z-E. We're uh, on the internet, uh, footballmaven.io slash eagles. All right, buddy. Have yourself a good weekend. We'll talk with you soon. Hey. All right, buddy. I'll see you. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Ed. Ed Kratz, beat writer for Philadelphia Eagles, our official NFL contributor, a very good friend of mine. Love having him on the show. Uh, certainly uh, a, a, a professional and, and knows his stuff. Knows uh, a good go-to when it comes to the NFL. My name's uh, Tom Mark with El Presidente. Thank you for joining us. We're getting ready to go into the Elite Eight. And uh, we're, by the end, of, by the end of today, by the end of um, uh, by the end of tomorrow, I guess you should say, you, you could say, we will know who our final four is. Bravo! We'll see what happens. I want my madness. I don't think I'm going to get it. My name's Tom Marquisel, Presidente. Remember, don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. Welcome. 2019 baseball. Let's see what happens in some basketball. Thanks for joining us. Follow us on our social media at T Balance, Facebook The Balance. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.